0: The things that we need to know, that we need to be reminded of, that we know that we know that we know, as we have new believers coming to faith in Christ all along, and many who are embarking on their faith journey for really for the first time of being followers of Jesus Christ, uh, I want you to know something. We, We need to be regularly reminded about some things, about some truths. And these are imperative for us, because you know what even the most mature believer in Christ, the old demon of doubt, can attack you from time to time and really cause questions to come up in your mind and so one of the roles that we play within church, whether it's a small group or a large group like this, is to remind one another of the truths of god's word and so we've been doing this for several weeks. I want to go back a couple of weeks last time I was with you to share with you what we were talking about there that God's desire is to live his life in and through us. Remember the little sentence that I gave you, that Jesus came to give his life for you so that he could give his life to you so that he might live his life through you. And this is the secret of uh, victorious life. This is the secret of abundant life. And this is what's available to us as we yield ourselves to God and he lives his life through us. However... We don't always walk in that victory. We don't always walk in that abundant life, do we? Our own our, our nature, and invariably from time to time, will creep up on us, and we'll find, to find ourselves giving in to temptation. We'll find ourselves uh, picking back up an old sin that we know the Lord has delivered us from, and we've we found victory over. And then we find ourselves in a mess. That's what I want to talk about this morning. What happens to us when we sin what happens when a believer sins and and breaks this sweet fellowship that we have with the lord that he paid for with his very life's blood and so where i want to go with this is really to an episode that happened in the life of david because it illustrates not only this sermon but the very first sermon i shared with you in this series remember what that was that god loves you And there's nothing that can happen to ever change that, that we're saved and we're sure. Here's the thing. When you and I sin, when we stumble and fall, when we give in to temptation, we cannot destroy the relationship with God, but we can seriously damage the fellowship with God. And that can be miserable. That can be really awkward and difficult for us. And so we can be sure of eternal salvation, but we find ourselves living in absolute misery. And so this happened in David's life. Let me give you a quick history lesson behind Psalm 51. During the time when the kings went off to war, David didn't go with all of his generals. He stayed back in Jerusalem. And one night he couldn't sleep, so he was walking around on the upper uh, ramparts of his castle. And his castle was the highest edifice in the city. And he looked down on a neighbor's house, and there was a woman over there bathing on a rooftop, which was not unusual. That happened, but she wasn't well protected in that process. Well, he lusted after her. He sent somebody to bring her to himself. He had relations with her. And then he found out that she was expecting so rather than go through uh, the uh, uh, embarrassment of that, because she was married to one of his generals, what did he do? He contacted the commander of the battle that was going on, and he said, send me Uriah, her husband, back home, and let's, let's give him a furlough, give him some time off to where he can have uh, the comfort of his own bed and relations with his wife. And he knew if he did that, then his sin would be covered. Well, Uriah came back, but he would not take that furlough. He came to see the king and talked to the king. But his men were sleeping out in a field, and they weren't with their wives, and he wasn't going to do that either. And that foiled David's plan. So what did he do? He had Joab, the commander of the troops. He said, when you're pressing the battle very close to the the fiercest part of the, the, the battle, I want you to pull everybody back and leave Uriah out there all by himself and let him be killed. And that was murder is what it really was. But that's exactly what happened. And so then uh, word came that Uriah was dead. So what did David do, the magnanimous and kind and gentle king that he was? He went and embraced Uriah's poor widow and brought her into his household to be one of his very own wives. Wasn't that nice of him? Wasn't it really nice of him? Yeah. And so everybody said, oh, what a wonderful king we have, you know. He fooled everybody except God. God knew all about that. And so God revealed that to a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan then accosted the king. And he did it in a parable. He did it like this. He, he said, King, there were these two men that lived side by side. One was poor, one was rich. The rich man had flocks of goats and sheep and everything. And the poor man just had one little lamb. And it was more like a child to him. He stayed in the house with him and such as that. Well, you know the law of fellowship in our land. When somebody shows up, you know, you have to prepare a meal for them. Well, somebody came to the rich man's house. So what did he do? Did he go and choose one of the many flocks that he had in his herd to kill? No, he went next door and kidnapped the poor man's one and only lamb, killed it, slaughtered it, prepared it, and that's what he gave to his company. And the king went berserk. And and he said, that man deserves the worst punishment. And then Nathan said, you're the man. You're the man because you had all these wives and concubines and yet you took Uriah's wife as your very own and then had him killed. And so David was then publicly embarrassed by his sins. You know, the scripture tells us whatever we'll expose to God in private for him to forgive, then he'll kept keep hidden under his grace. But if we refuse to, he's going to expose us all. That's his promise. He loves you enough to expose your sin. So that's what happened to David. Well, he wrote this psalm, Psalm 51, as a result of him being confronted by his sin, by being totally embarrassed, but by crying out to God and asking God to forgive him and cleanse him and give him a new start in life. So that's what this psalm is all about. Let's read it together. Psalm 51. I'm going to read almost all of it. "'Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindnesses, "'According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. "'Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. "'For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. "'Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight.' that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. But behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones that you have broken may rejoice." Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, many of us in this very room today, are right here. We're not walking in victory. We're walking in defeat. We've sought to appropriate your graces, and yet in we've stumbled and fallen and given into temptation, and now we find ourselves miserable. Help us, Lord, to know what to do right from your word. I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I want you to remember from that first sermon that I preached to you on this series that your salvation, God's love for you, cannot be changed. There's nothing that can affect that. You didn't do anything to deserve God's love in the first place, so you can't do anything to lose God's love. Okay, it's a a gift of grace and of mercy. That having been said, listen to me very closely. Though your relationship is eternal and cannot be impacted, your fellowship with God can be severely damaged. There's a big difference between the two. The relationship is eternal. It cannot be changed. It cannot be broken. But your fellowship with the Lord can be severely damaged. And that's what sin does. Sin fractures the fellowship that we have with God. And so what I want us to look at here today is this. I don't want you to think for the t little bit of a millisecond that your sin does not matter. It's devastating. It's highly destructive. It's a grenade that you hold onto in your hand and you wonder why it blows your hand off. It's severe. It cannot destroy your relationship, but it can severely damage your fellowship with the Lord. So, let's look first of all at Psalm 51. What are the consequences of my sin? What are the consequences of David's sin? What what happened because of what he did with Bathsheba and then trying to cover it up and all the rest of those things? First of all, this is in your notes, the consequences of sin. Sin dirties the soul. Sin dirties the soul. David begins praying for God to wash him and cleanse him. Why? Because he felt filthy, that's why. Now here's the king of Israel. The king who lived in magnificent robes, When he laid down to sleep at night, it was on silk. He bathed in a marble bathtub bathtub with scented water, and yet he felt dirty. He felt filthy because that's what sin does. Sin dirties the soul. Holy Spirit will see to it that you feel dirty because of your sin. That's part of his ministry to a believer is to let that believer know when he's out of fellowship with God. I'll tell you what, my friends, the test of your salvation is not that you don't ever sin. <laughs> the test of whether or not you're saved is you can sin and don't care. That you can in your face defy God and it not bother you. That's something you need to be worried about. That's something you need to investigate because Holy Spirit's ministry is such that He comes upon us when, when we're a child of God and God's cleansed us with His blood and He's freed us from all of those impurities and then we bring sin into our life again. Holy Spirit says, Ick! Yuck! And you have that longing to be clean. Clean. Larry and I love to, uh, to work outside in our yards. Uh, one day a week, we get to do that still. And we enjoy doing that. But, you know, even in nicer weather the way it is right now, you've been out there all day long sweating and digging into dirt and all the rest of those things that you do. It gets towards the end of the day, and I am feeling grimy and yucky, and I want to go in and get a shower. And because she has much more stamina than I do, I usually have the first one in a bathtub, okay? So, Oh, it feels so good. After you've been working outside, sweating, you're gritty, you're dirty, to go in and get a shower and get clean, it feels so good. David is saying, this filth has clung to me long enough. I'm longing to be cleansed. Wash me. Cleanse me. Purge me. Why? Because sin dirties the soul. Secondly, sin... Excuse me dominates the mind. Verse 3, it dominates the mind. It says, my sins are always before me. That's, again, something Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit will not let you forget what you've done. He will keep that before you. Have you ever had that happen? You've done something, you know that it's wrong, and everywhere you look, everything you do reminds you of that? Listen, that's not a curse. (laughs) That's Holy Spirit. Speaking to your heart. That's Holy Spirit speaking to you. Every song that you hear, uh, every, every person you see, you wonder, do they know? Do they know? It's something we carry because it absolutely defiles our mind. Everything we, we were thinking about that. And so we think about prayer, forget it. <laughs> I am praying. That's just going to remind me that much more of what I've done. Go to church, not on your life, because I'm going to be reminded of what I've done. But Holy Spirit is using that, that it, yes, it hurts, but he's using that to draw you back to himself, a longing to have your mind cleared again. What else does it do? David is saying, I feel dirty all outside. My, my mind is dominated by what I've done. Verse four, sin disgraces the Lord. It disgraces the Lord. Now, a lot of people have trouble with verse 4. I understand. I do too. When, when David says against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in, in your sight, you know, I want to say, well, what about Uriah? <laughs> what about Bathsheba? What about all of the nation of Israel that looks to you as a paragon of virtue? Didn't you sin against them too? Well, indeed he did. And he wasn't minimizing any of that. But here's what he's understanding. And I want you to understand. The cost to do away with your sin is the life and blood of Jesus Christ. The highest cost imaginable. God paid the highest cost imaginable to cleanse you. So when you bring sin back in your life, that spits on the blood of Christ. That trods the cross underfoot that slaps the face of God and David understood that he understood that his sin cost God incredibly and disgraced him disgraced God that's what my sin does It spits in the face of the one who gave his life for me. And that's why David would say, yeah, I I think he was saying, yeah, I've sinned against all these folks. But you're the one who's paid the greatest price. You're the one who's been most disgraced by what I've done. Because sin disgraces the Lord. A lost man don't care. (laughs) A lost man don't care. Because he's living in his lostness and he's happy in that. He doesn't know any better. But Holy Spirit sees to it that believers understand how deeply they disgrace God himself. So David is praying, God, my my soul is dirty. My mind is dominated by sin. I know I have disgraced you. Look at verse 8. Sin depresses the heart. Sin depresses the heart. David says, I I want to know joy and gladness again. Why was he asking for that? Because he didn't have it. His joy, his confidence is gone. He couldn't sing anymore. This was a professional singer. A writer of songs. But he'd lost his song. He'd lost his joy. it has gone. And that's why he would cry out, Oh God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I've lost it all. Let me tell you, the most miserable person in the world today is not a lost person. They may be miserable at the consequences of their sins, but that's it. The most miserable person Sitting in this sanctuary right now is the believer in Christ who's out of fellowship with God because of sin they're hiding in their heart. It's miserable, folks. It's miserable. And Holy Spirit will just turn up the misery that much more. Not because He doesn't love you. Because He does. Not because He hates you. Not because he doesn't want you, but because he does. Sin makes us absolutely miserable. It, is, it, it depresses us. Learn the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness hangs on what happens. That's why it's happy happiness. Happiness hangs on what happens. Joy is the emotion that doesn't change regardless what happens. And that's what he had lost. All of us have times we're not happy. God didn't design us to be happy all the time. But he designed us to be joyful all the time. Because joy is a deep and abiding peace and confidence in who we are in Christ, but you can lose that. You can lose that by our perpetual hidden sin. And he was deeply, darkly depressed. Happiness is a thermometer. It tells you what the temperature is. But joy is a thermostat. (laughs) It sets the temperature in your heart and in your your body. So David's saying, God, my soul is dirty. My mind is dominated by evil. I I know my sin has disgraced you. My heart is desperately heavy. Then look at verse 8. It even diseases the body. You know about psychosomatic illnesses, don't you? When things are, are are not right, when you're worried, when you're deeply depressed or whatever, it literally affects your body. It does. But many of those are spirit caused. When you're out of fellowship with God, it, it actually impacts your body. It does. It is a psychosomatic kind of an illness. Paul was talking about the Corinthians when they were so disobedient coming to the Lord's table and, and bringing uh, uh, strife and causing strife among the brethren and everything. He said, for this reason, many of you are sick. And some of you have even died because of it. It affects the body. And, and, and David felt the weight, the heaviness on his body for what he had done. So here he's praying, God, my soul feels dirty. My mind is dominated by the evil I've done. Sin has disgraced you. I desperately heavy in my body. I'm sick all the time. And then verse 8, sin defiles the spirit. It defiles the spirit. Let me tell you something about someone who is out of fellowship with God. They are hypercritical of other people. They're hypercritical of other people. They don't want to deal with their sin, but they want to point yours out. Hypercritical of, of, of anybody else's wrongdoing. And that was David. When Nathan came to him and told him that little parable about the, the two, two neighbors and the and the two the, the lamb, what did David do? He exploded. Yeah, that, that, that man deserves the worst punishment. He, he could see... The evil that had happened there, but he couldn't see the evil in his own heart. And that's what happened when, when, when your spirit is so defiled, you, you see sins in others, but not in yourself. The pastor told me years and early in his ministry, uh, he there was a man in his church that was always critical of everything. He had the spiritual gift of criticism. My friends, that's not a spiritual gift. Don't go there. Okay. But he had the spiritual gift of criticism. And one day he came and opened up the janitor's closet and there was five brand new brooms hanging there. Well, he went ballistic. He went ballistic on the pastor. He, he went ballistic on the church treasurer. He was, Why this waste? Why don't you just buy one broom? Why buy five brooms? And he just went away storming mad, just as critical as he could be. The treasurer came to the pastor and said, Pastor, please, I want you to be encouraged. You'd feel the same way. If every penny you'd given to the church for a whole year was spent on five brooms, you know you'd you'd feel the same way. (laughs) You see, sin so defiles your spirit. You don't see your own sin, but boy, you can see those of others. And you don't mind pointing them out. And that was the defilement that was going on. The man in the parable had stolen a lamb. David had stolen a woman. The man had killed a lamb. He'd killed his general. He couldn't see his sin, but he could sure see somebody else's sin. Sin absolutely defiles the spirit. So here he's crying out, Lord... My soul feels dirty. My mind is dominated by the evil that I have done. I've disgraced you. My heart is heavy. My body is heavy. I'm finding fault with everyone. And then look at verses 14 through 15. Sin destroys your testimony. Sin destroys your testimony. Historians and hymnologists tell us that David did not write any new songs From the time he had this relationship with Bathsheba until after Nathan confronted him. That which he loved most, writing songs and singing, praising God, was gone. He'd he'd lost his joy. He'd lost his song. That was his testimony. I mean, when Saul, as a young boy, as, as Saul would have him come in and play on the lyre and sing to him because Saul had a this oppressive spirit, this depressed spirit, and, and David's ministry would just soothe his soul. That was gone. He didn't have that anymore. Sin had robbed him of his testimony. Sin will take your testimony away because... You don't want to be around Christians. You don't want to be in church because you're miserable. Holy Spirit loves you too much to let you stay that way though. And so what we move to next after seeing all of these things is how David was restored. How he got his song back. How he got his testimony back. How he got his health back. How he got his spirit cleansed again. So let's go from the consequences of our sin to what happens as we're cleansed of that sin. The cleansing of our sin is the life of the believer. So here's what happens. First of all, I want you to see David's confidence. Confidence in verses 1 and 2. David knew this. He knew that though his sin was great, God's grace and mercy were greater still. He knew that. Somehow deep in in his psyche, below all the, the damnable lies and counterfeits that Satan was pouring onto him. He had something deep in his soul that he could not escape. He knew that God was a God of mercy and grace. You remember we did Jonah here several months ago? Why was it Jonah didn't want to go and preach to the Ninevites? Because he knew that God was rich in mercy and grace. And if they repented and confessed, that God would forgive them. Deep-seated in the heart of the believer is a steadfast confidence that God loves sinners. I don't know about you, but I'm glad God loves sinners. If he did, not none of us would be here. There, there's only one kind of person that God loves. And that's people who screw up. And these are the ones he takes and he as his very own children. When they confess their sin to him, repent of their sins, and come into their, uh, he comes into their lives, he adopts them into his very own family. He covers them with his very own blood. And they're his children. They're not perfect, but they're his. And that relationship will never, ever change. He was cleansed. Now the devil wants to put it in your mind when you're a believer and you stumble and fall, you fall into temptation, you sin. The devil wants you to say, Look, God got you cleaned up one time, and now it's up to you to stay that way. And now you've messed up and God don't want you anymore. He's sick and tired of you. You're on his naughty list. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't want to have anything to do with you. He don't want you praying. He don't want you to go to church. These are the lies that Satan puts into the head. You know that to be true? Have you sensed that yourself? I have. He whispers, God does not want you. You've you've done messed up too bad. You've done messed up too bad. How many of you are adulterers and murderers here today? If you're anything south of that, you're well taken care of. And if you're worse than that, you are too. But that's what David was. An adulterer and a murderer. But God still cared about him. God still loved him. Don't listen to Satan's lies. Remember the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus told that parable. It was about a father who had two sons. One of them was very faithful and stayed at home and did all the work all the time. The other one was just longing to get away. Finally, he said, "Daddy, give my part of the inheritance. I want to leave. I want to do whatever I want to do with my life." And he did. He left and he squandered everything he had on, on riotous kind of living. And all of a sudden, all those friends that he had when he had so much money disappeared, <laughs> and he found himself in such a bad place that he had his head in the in the pig's trough eaten. And he came to himself right there and he said, you know what, in my father's house even the least paid of the slaves at least have enough to eat. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back to my father's house and and I'm going to ask him, just let me be a slave here. Just let me work on a farm. And so he did that. But the story of the prodigal son is really not about the boy. And if that's all you see, you missed it. The story of the prodigal son is about the father. Because the father granted him grace to go and do what he wanted to do. But then it's interesting, as Jesus tells the story, that father is looking at the horizon down the road where he last saw his son. And that's where he stands day by day by day. And then one day he sees the silhouette of a man topping the hill on the road. And nobody walks like that but his boy. Nobody carries himself like that but his son. And what did he do? Well, he sat down in his chair and he crossed his arms. his dad's sorry, no good scoundrel? He can come back here and beg before me. And after I spit on him, I might let him live. That's not what he did. What does the Bible say? The father grabbed the hem of his garment, pushed it in his waistband so he could run, and he ran to meet his son. He ran to meet him and he embraced him. That filthy smelling of pig slop son of his. He embraced him. And kissed him. And he said, "Bring, the, put, put a robe on his back. Put sandals on his feet. Put the family ring back on his hand. Because this my son who was dead is now alive. He's come home. That's You're God. That's what that parable is about. It's about the open-armed father, not about the stupid son. What does that say? There is a confidence that you can have. Even though you've wandered a long way away from God and you've held on to that sin for a long time. Earlier today, I dealt with the a person, they said, I've, I've been caught up in this sin for over a decade. But they got set free today because they came home. They came home. They dared to believe that God still loved them. David dared to believe that confidence was there that God still loved him. The second thing, look at verses 2 and 3, is confession after you're convinced that God wants you to come home you have to confess you gotta own it man come on man up look what David did David didn't say well I had a bit of an affair no he said I was an adulterer he didn't say well a good friend of mine got killed in the war no I had him killed don't mince words with God don't play vocabulary games with him man up Admit it. I'm addicted to pornography. Lust has got the best of me. Own it. Man up. Come on. I can't get away from the bottle. It calls my name from the cabinet. Own it. Man up. I have unforgiveness in my heart. I don't want to forgive that person. Own it! Man up! That's what confession is. Confession says, God, I admit you're right about my sin. It's deplorable, it's despicable, and it deserves death. That's confession. It's not, well, probably not a good idea. No. Own it. Own it. And when you confess, you say, God, you are absolutely right in judging me and what I deserve for my sin is eternal damnation. Own it. Listen, God didn't die for your alibi. He died for your sins. Don't give him an alibi. God didn't die for your alibis. Those are just lies. But he died for your sins. So confess the sin. And inherent in confession is repentance. This is where David had a change of heart. And a change of mind. A change of attitude. And then a change of actions. Repentance is simply a change of direction. I've been going this way, I've been doing my own life, I do what I want to do, and, and, and suddenly God confronts me, and I find myself encountering God himself, and I confess my sin, and then he turns me around 180 degrees, and now I'm following after God, now I am doing what's right, I want to be right, I want to be virtuous, I want to be godly. It's a change in direction, it's a change in mind that results in a change of action. And listen to me, there's no forgiveness for confession apart from repentance. It's ludicrous. The old Errol Flynn movie of Robin Hood. One of my favorite characters in that movie is Friar Tuck. Friar Tuck is uh, a, a monk, but he fights alongside Robin Hood. Now, he doesn't use a sword, but he uses a staff. And in one of those scenes, that I'll never forget it, he'll take, and he'll wham somebody over the head with that staff. And then he'll cross himself. Wham! Cross himself again. Wham! Cross himself again. That's not forgiveness, folks. <laughs> that may be a confession, but there's no change in action. And many of us, by a cheap imitation of the gospel, Thinking we're forgiven just because we confess and not because we've determined in our heart to repent. David, by God's grace, wanted to change. That was his confession. Then, verses 2 and 3, the third thing is cleansing. Look what he said. He said, God, wash me, purge me, cleanse me. I'm filthy. And I need your loving care. I need your cleansing. I need you to make me whole. This is the gospel, folks. This is the heart of the Bible. Listen as I, I read First 1 John 1, nine over you. God says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you love to break the shackles that are holding you back? God promises in Isaiah chapter 1 in verse 18. He says, come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they'll be as wool. Have you been miserable long enough? Isn't there something within you longing to be free? And not just free to where you can do it all over again. But free for the last thing I want to share with you. It's down in verses 12 through 15. And that's consecration. You see, David said, Lord, if you'll wash me and cleanse me, then here's what I'll do. I will teach transgressors your ways. That they may know the truth. Here's what he's saying, God. God, I'm embarrassed by my sin. I'm ashamed of what I've done. But you and your great mercy and grace have forgiven me and cleansed me. So listen, God, here's what I want you to do. Make me exhibit A. Put me out there as exhibit A of how you and your grace and mercy take genuine screw-ups like me and bring them home and cleanse them. Make me exhibit A, that the world can see that even though you've been disgraced by my sin and your heart is broken by what I've done, your love champions, your love accepts, your love makes me whole again. That's what God wants to do. Yes, He wants to cleanse you for your own sake and for His own glory, but He wants to put you out there as exhibit A. And this morning, if God has cleansed you from your sins, I want you to say to Him, God, here I am. Put me out there as exhibit A. I will be your testimony. I will share your grace and love. That's the end result. Because you see, it's not about me. And it's not about you; it's about him receiving the glory and do his name. In every sermon, there's a time that it's got to do business with God. Time to shut corn. Time to quit getting it out of the theoretical and put it into the practical right here. Let's do business with God. Bow your heads. And I'll ask you to pray along with me. You don't have to pray out loud like I'm doing right now, but I ask you to embrace, if if what I'm saying catches your heart, then embrace it and pray it yourself. Oh God, it's me again. Stumbled and fell. I gave in to temptation. Now the soul that you've cleansed, I've dirtied it all up again. My joy is gone. My testimony's gone. I'm filthy. I'm heavy but I remember what it's like to be in fellowship with you I remember what it's like to have my soul cleansed I remember what it's like to have joy and hope and confidence. God, I ask you to wash me, to cleanse me, to purge me, to scald me. I want to be clean again. not just for me but to where I can be exhibit A for you and tell this world about a a God of such love and grace and mercy that he takes even a scoundrel like me and loves them and accepts them and adopts them and even uses them God my heart's before you I'm as broken as I can be I want to come home I want to come home daddy can I come home Yes. Yes. Come on home. Father, I thank you for the wide open arms that you offer to your children today. And may we run to those arms with a deep breath of freedom. And find home. In your name we pray. Amen. I'll be available after services to share with you if some of you would like to talk. Our Connection Center has got our staff and all there. God bless you today.